Pastor Bailey, is, if you have been here for a time, you know that Pastor Bailey has been preaching through 1 Corinthians, and we've come up into chapter 7. Several weeks ago, a few weeks ago, he preached from the beginning of chapter 7, and um, he's asked me to continue in this same passage, and uh, what I want to do is really reiterate some of the things that he said, repeat them, clarify them. Not clarify them, just repeat them. Uh, There is one issue he has asked me to clarify a bit, which I will do, and then go on a little bit into the passage just a bit. So hear God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is the word of the Lord. First, I want to reiterate the main point that Tim made a few weeks ago that is just simply the main point of this passage and it is the main point throughout Scripture when it comes to sex. And the point is this, married sex is good. If you think that sex is bad or dirty or unspiritual, then you need to read your Bible. Because from beginning to end, over and over and over again, God declares to us that married sex is good. God made it. You know what... Genesis chapter 2 says, if you know the Bible at all, it says this, Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a, a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God made sex. From the beginning, not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper who fits with him, took the rib out, made a woman, gave it to the man, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. 
For this reason, even now, up to this day, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is good. This is very good. And sex in marriage is honorable. The Holy Spirit says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And you are to look forward to and anticipate and enjoy having sex with your husband or your wife. Proverbs 5, verses 15 to 20 says this, Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? It is this view, it's, it's God's view of sex that will keep you from adultery. Because he commands you to be exhilarated with your wife, men. And that is the only thing that will keep you from adultery. There is a whole book in the Bible about sex. And we act as if that book isn't there. Or if it's there, it's about spirituality. You know, spiritual things. It's about Jesus. Now, in some ways, it certainly is about Jesus. There's a whole book about sex, Song of Solomon, and we have to have our understanding of God and of Holy Scripture and of sex shaped by that. And here's what it says. Here's just one passage. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter. The curves of your hips are like jewels, the work of the hands of an artist. Your navel is like a round goblet which never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is like a heap of wheat fenced about with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like a tower of ivory. Your eyes like the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon. Write that one down and use it. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon which faces toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel and the flowing locks of your head are like purple threads. The king is captivated by your tresses. How beautiful and how delightful you are, my love. With all your charms, your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit stalks. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, flowing gently through the lips of those who fall asleep. What is that about? This is holy scripture. 
This is holy scripture. And it's ex- we all know what it's about. Remember what Timothy says, or what Paul says, the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy, I think, where he says, all scripture is what? Inspired by God, God breathed, and is what? Profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and training for righteousness. The Song of Solomon is all of that. Because that's what God says. All scripture is all of that. So if you grew up in a home that was cold and loveless, if sex was a dirty or a shameful thing, if you never saw your parents being appropriately affectionate with one another, then you need to let the Bible reshape your thinking about sex. Because God made it and it's good. And yes, it has been twisted. But men and women have twisted it, not God. God made it and it's good. Sex is destroyed and twisted by doing it outside of marriage. And it is just as destroyed and twisted by not doing it inside of marriage. And so if you grew up in a cold and loveless home where you never saw your mom and dad touching and hugging and kissing and flirting with each other, and if you have brought that right into your own marriage, then you need to relearn what normal is. And if you're in a home growing up with that right now, you need to relearn what normal is before you bring that into your marriage. Because normal is defined by God. Normal is not defined by your parents or by you. God made sex. He said it was very good. He commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Which means what? He commanded them to have fruitful sex. This is a command of God for them and for us. He commands you... you, He he commands your husbands, wives, he commands your husband to want you and to touch you and to pursue you and to think about you. And yes, sin has twisted and deformed us and our understanding and our desires. But in Christ, if you're a Christian, you are being remade and reworked and sanctified. No matter how you grew up, no matter what your home was like, No matter what you saw and learned from your mother or your father, you can be set right. You can have your understanding and your desires remade to be godly and good. And no matter what you've done, no matter what perversions or habits or heinous sins you have committed, The Bible says that you can be remade, you can be washed, you can be reworked into the image of Jesus Christ, the perfect husband who came to seek his spotless bride. And no matter what has happened to you, 
no matter how you have been sinned against, no matter how you have been abused and victimized, the Bible declares to you that you can have a normal, joyful, free, and intimate sexual relationship with your husband or your wife. Because God made sex. And if you are married, he made you to have good, pure, undefiled, mutually satisfying sex with your husband or your wife. And God is bigger than you. He's bigger than your history. He's bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your abuser. He's bigger than all of that. And if you have kept yourself from getting married or you've kept yourself from giving yourself to your spouse because of your past, stop it. Because God is bigger than all of that. Jesus Christ came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He came to heal the sick and to wash the dirty and to restore the broken. Have faith and then act in obedience to God. And act in this way. So first of all, marriage, married sex is good. Shape your mind by scripture. Not by your sins, not by your perversions, and not by the sins and perversions of others. Secondly... I want, to, I want to moderate just a little bit something that Tim said a few weeks ago when he was preaching from this passage. Sex in marriage can indeed be perverted and twisted and destroyed. Tim said something a few weeks ago to the effect that there is no such thing as marital rape. And he wants me to tell you this, that that was an overstatement to make a point. Because there is such a thing as marital rape. There is such a thing as a man, usually, forcing himself on his wife in a violent, wicked way. And if you're a woman who has been violently forced or coerced by, a hus- by your husband against your will, then you need to come to the pastors and the elders and let us deal with your husband. But this is extremely rare. And that was the point that Tim was making. One study I read said that only 1% of the women surveyed in the study reported anything remotely like that. But here's the interesting thing. The people who, who were conducting the survey said 1% of the, per, of the women who they interviewed said anything like that, but they, they decided that actually the number was more like 11%. Because, you know, they just knew better than the women who were actually talking to them. And so the problem is that feminists have used the concept of marital rape, though it is a real and awful thing, but they've used it as yet another way to drive a wedge between husband and wife. We need to remember this basic principle. It's it's wrong to sacrifice the normal at the altar of the abnormal. Right? What is normal is that a husband and a wife have mutually satisfying, warmly intimate sex. And to call all marital sex rape, which is what a lot of feminists, vocal and radical feminists do, uh, 
is to throw filth on something that God has made and called good. So don't buy into that. Let normal be normal. Let God be true. But again, if you're a woman who's been raped by your husband, talk to someone you trust. And let us deal with that. Okay? So number one, married sex is good. Number two, little little moderation or tweak on what Tim said a few weeks ago. Number three, let's move forward in the text from a few weeks ago and really focus on, especially on verse five. Verse five says this. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, this passage, this verse brings up all sorts of realities about marriage and sex. First of all, married sex should be frequent and regular. Paul says at the beginning of verse 5, stop depriving one another. Evidently, both husbands and wives can deprive one another. This isn't just something that wives do. It's not something just that husbands do. Both husbands or wives can do this, which is why he says stop depriving one another. Now, why do husbands and wives deprive one another? This is the real question that that all of us need to to face. The practical question is, especially as married men and women, There's a warning, there's a command, stop doing this. Why do we do this? Because we won't stop unless we understand why. And I will say this also to you who are not yet married. Listen. Listen to what I'm about to say. You need to learn now what we all learn later. Why don't you just learn it now? Don't you just learn it now? Why do husbands and wives deprive one another? Why do they not have sex? There's all kinds of reasons. We could start with the reason that was going on here in Corinth. Remember what Tim said a few weeks ago? He he opened up what was going on here. Uh, There were people in Corinth who were super spiritual, right? They, They thought they were above sex. You know, they would have read um, Song of Solomon, the, the passage I just read to you a minute ago. And they would have read that, and their first assumption would have been, well, that can't have anything to do with my body or anyone else's body. That can't have anything to do with that because bodies are bad. And so if the Bible talks about bodies, it must be really talking about spirits. <laughs> you know, obviously, because bodies are bad. And so the church, even, was filled with people, evidently, who thought they were above sex. That they were more spiritual if they did not have sex with their wives or their husbands. Because sex has to do with bodies, and we just don't, we're not into that. And that sounds exotic to most of us today, doesn't it? But let me tell you, it happens today, and it happens here. Here, in this church. 
And if that is your reason for depriving your husband or your wife of intimate, warm, interested sex, then listen to what the Holy Spirit says to you. Ready? Stop it. Stop it. Stop depriving one another. You have a direct command from God the Holy Spirit in His Word, so if you want to be super spiritual, this tells you how to be super spiritual, right? You obey the command of Scripture. You obey the command of the Holy Spirit. If you want to be super spiritual, you better start giving yourself to your husband or to your wife without reservation, without regret, without a bad conscience, without reluctance of any kind, with the freedom that comes from knowing you are doing the will of God. You cannot be spiritual and disobey a direct command of Scripture. God says, stop depriving one another. Why else do husbands and wives deprive one another of warm, interested sex? How about plain old-fashioned selfishness? You're too tired and you're too lazy to do the hard work of relating to your wife in such a way that she will want to have sex with you. So you just don't. Or you're too tired to think about how to please your husband, so you just don't. Nothing more complicated than simple selfishness. Here's another common reason. Your relationship is bad. Good, warm, intimate, thoughtful, interested sex is a symptom of a good relationship. It flows out of a good relationship, and your relationship is bad. You're nasty with each other. You're impatient with one another. You spend all your time being against each other, defending, attacking, keeping a record of wrongs. You refuse to forgive each other. You nurse and cultivate and nurture bitterness towards one another. I mean, come on, no wonder you you deprive one another. You don't like each other. Hard to do this with someone you don't like. Here's another reason husbands and wives deprive one another of sex. Guilt. You are filled with guilt over fornicating with each other before you were married. You're so filled with guilt over fornicating with one another before you were married that you can't have sex now with a good conscience. And again, if you're not married yet, listen to me very carefully. You don't, you, you don't want to have sex with each other before you're married. Because it will ruin it for you after you're married. What seems so natural, so uh, unavoidable, so exciting now, before you're married, you stand before God and you make promises, and after you're married, that the weight of the guilt of that sin will, will ride, will ride you, will crush you. And there are many men and women who, even though it seemed easy enough before they were married, 
now that they're married, all of a sudden there's a problem, and the problem is guilt. If you're not married yet, protect yourself from that. You don't need that. Some of you, having sex now in marriage, even, even in marriage, reminds you of all the times you had sex with one another before you were married, and so you feel guilty, and so it, it gets in the way. Or you feel guilty because you are guilty, because all the times you were immoral with other men or other women before you were married. Or you're guilty because you have your ongoing use of pornography, or you're guilty because you have unconfessed sexual sin in your life. And so you deprive one another. Your guilt paralyzes you. And you end up withdrawing from your wife or from your husband. And God says to you, stop it. Stop depriving one another. Do whatever you need to do to have a clean conscience. Confess your sin, believe the gospel, trust the blood of Jesus to cleanse you of your guilt. Turn away from your sin and give yourself by faith, by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ that covers our sin. Give yourself to your husband or to your wife. (coughs) Some of you, Some of you wives deprive your husbands of warm, affectionate, interested sex because your husband is a sinner. Some of you deprive your husband of sex because your husband is a sexual sinner. And you see yourself as righteous. And maybe you are in that area. And yet you refuse to help him in his sexual sin by freely and gladly and warmly giving yourself to him sexually. And as I said before, some of you are depriving your husband or your wife because you were, you yourself were sexually abused. And I say again to you, Jesus Christ will help you and heal you. Don't keep hiding your abuse. Stop denying it. Stop pretending that you're over it. Stop pretending that it doesn't affect you, because it does affect you. One of the ways that it affects you is that you deprive each other. Get the help you need. Because there is a command here. Stop depriving one another. And God will give you what you need to obey this command. He is a good father. He's a good king. He's a good Lord. He will help you obey him. He wants you to obey him, and so he will help you obey him. He will give you what you need to obey this command. So whatever it is, whatever it is, whether it's guilt, whether it's abuse, whether it's fear, whether it's your nasty relationship, whether it's the home that you grew up in, whatever it is, God will give you what you need to obey this command. And that is wonderful news for every one of us. So if you're married, you are to have frequent, regular, interested, 
intimate sex with your husband or your wife. Every one of those words matters. Frequent, regular, interested, not cold, not detached, not mechanical. Intimate sex with your husband or your wife. Now, there's one exception to this rule, but only one exception in verse 5. Stop depriving one another. Accept by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There is only one exception to regular frequent sex in marriage. Here are the terms of that exception. He says, stop depriving one another except, number one, by agreement. That means there are, no, there are no unilateral decisions, right? It is not, honey, I've decided. There is no I. Okay? It's we, by agreement, number one. No, no unilateral decisions. Number two, for a time, no open-ended abstinence. Number three, for a purpose, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer No whims, no paybacks, no manipulation. This is the only exception. So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And four, and come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Nothing long-term. Short. Because you can't handle it. We can't handle it any other way. Now what is Paul talking about here? What does he mean when he says, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer? Obviously, he's talking about a very particular, special, rare kind of prayer. He cannot possibly be talking about the kind of thing that happens every day. Right? He can't be talking about normal prayer. He's talking about very serious seasons of life when there are serious sins to be repented of. Or serious circumstances or difficulties or decisions. Where you can't do anything but pray. In other words, this is to be a rare exception. A very rare exception. Now I said that there's only one exception to regular frequent sex in marriage. That is what the passage says. But, <coughs> excuse me, if you've been married for any time at all, you know that there are other times in life when it's impossible to have normal sexual relations with your husband or, or your wife. When you just had a baby, when uh, you had some kind of sickness or cancer or whatever. But remember, those are rare events. The principle stays the same. If you are married, you are commanded to maintain regular, frequent, interested sexual relations with your husband or your wife. And even if you do have extended periods of time when it's physically impossible for you. Do not be insensitive to your spouse. Continue to be warm and affectionate and and physical with them. Continue to be sensitive to your wife's needs or your husband's needs, even if you can't fulfill them in the normal ways. Now, what do we need right now? 
What we read, need right now in this sermon is a quote from John Calvin. And here's what Calvin says about all of this. He says, If it ever enters the thoughts of those who are married to long for the single life. We all know what that means, right? Boy, wouldn't it be nice if I wasn't married? Or if I wasn't married to this man or this woman? If it ever enters the thoughts of those who are married to long for the single life because it is holier, or because they are urged on by promiscuous desires, they just want someone else. Let them remember that they are held fast by a mutual obligation. The man is only the half of his body, and it is the same with the woman. They do not have freedom of choice thereafter, but on the contrary, they must keep themselves in check. Keep yourself in check, right? With these thoughts, since one needed the support of the other, the Lord has joined us together so that we may help each other. Let each one help the other in his need and let neither act as if he could do what he likes. Isn't that helpful? Keep yourself in check with these thoughts. God knits you together not up to you. You're not your own. It's not your body anymore. It's your wife's. It's not your body anymore. It's your husband's. Now quickly, a word to you who are single or who are too young to be married. I have spoken plainly about these things because the Holy Spirit speaks plainly about these things. Do not resent this sermon because it's not presently directly applicable to you. And I know there are people sitting here who are single who are thinking, why is he preaching about this? Because this has nothing to do with me. And I want every sermon to have something to do with me. The Holy Spirit put these words in the Bible for all of us to see and all of us to hear and all of us to obey, and they are profitable for you. If you're single, you need to remember what is normal. And what is normal is this. Every man should have his own wife and every woman should have her own husband. Most men and women will be married. And if you're not yet married if you're, or if you're divorced or widowed, you are the exception to the rule. And God knows how difficult it is for you to sit here and listen to a sermon that reminds you of your singleness. That's all you can think about as, I've, as I'm preaching to you is, yeah, but I'm single. Yeah, but I'm single. God knows that. And yet, here's his word. Don't resent God. He cares for you. He will draw near to you if you will draw near to him. And so if this sermon remind, is painful for you, for other than the obvious reasons, if it just reminds you of your singleness, and that's painful for you, and if you take that pain and turn it into bitterness with God and discontentment and resentment about the way he has provided for you, then you won't draw near to him, and he won't draw near to you, and there'll be no comfort for you. Don't resent God. 
for the way he's provided for you. And if you're a child or a young person, let the Bible shape the way you think about sex. Because you are being shaped in the way you think about these things. Let the Bible do the shaping. Parents, take this opportunity to speak with your children about these things. You know, I have, I have done you a favor. Tim has done you a favor a few weeks ago. Because, you know, that conversation that you've been really meaning to have with your son, you know, for the last 10 years or 15 years... <laughs> Or your daughter, mothers, have this conversation with your daughter. Now, well, come on. There is no excuse not to have this conversation. You're going to have to have this conversation now. Have another conversation. Even if you've had the conversation, right? And so parents, talk to your children about these things and teach them well, not just by your words, but by your visible warmth and affection for your husband or your wife. And that will teach volumes. Now, we're about to eat the Lord's Supper together. And I want to tie this sermon directly to this table. And the connection is clear and it's powerful. And it comes right at the beginning, right, right before this passage in 1 Corinthians 7. It's the end of 1 Corinthians 6. And this is, this is what he says right before he starts talking about this. He says this, all right? 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You are to use your body in a way that glorifies God. As I said earlier, sex is destroyed and it's twisted either by doing it outside of marriage or by not doing it inside of marriage. You can dishonor God with your body either by sexual sin outside of marriage or by refusing to give yourself to one another inside of marriage. Either one dishonors God. But you were bought with a price. You are not your own. Glorify God in your body. And as we come to this table, we remember that. We eat and we drink to that. We grab a hold of it and we strengthen our faith and our hope with that. You're bought with a price. And in that strength and faith and hope, we press on in obedience to God's good and kind and generous and wise commands. Everything you need for every sorrow, for every sin, For every tragedy, for every disappointment, it's all right here, laid out for you. In this table, where God himself comes and he serves us the body and the blood of his only begotten son. So eat with faith. Be strengthened for your work of obedience to him as we eat and drink. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would Cause your words to be life to us. I pray for the men and the women of our congregation that you would cause them to be obedient to your commands. I pray for those who are single, 
that you would strengthen them and give them purity and give them hope and give them faith in your goodness. And I do pray, Lord, that if it's your will, you would provide them with a godly husband or a godly wife. We pray in Christ's name, amen.